Anthony Joshua recently appeared on a boxing podcast with Chris Mannix and he had some pretty harsh words for Deontay Wilder. So I'm going to quote AJ directly. He said, oh yeah, oh yeah. I went into my drawer and pulled out my long list of things to say. I've got a lot of things to say about Wilder, but you don't knock a man when he's down also. And that was at the top of the list. I have to stand by those principles. But for sure, I think me and Wilder, as I say, are cut from a different cloth. He's what we call, it begins with a B and ends with an H. I'm not like that. I'm more of a man. I don't really get on the internet talking crap. The only times you've seen me talking recklessly is against Dylan White and Jarrell Miller. Other than that, I'm an ambassador of the sport. I'm trying to be clean, representing my sponsorships, representing the zone properly. I try to stay away from the stereotypical or, or the stereotype of a heavyweight boxer. It's difficult, but I have it in me to fire up and talk recklessly when needed, unquote. All right. Now, as far as what he says about Deontay Wilder, he says, I'm more of a man than Wilder. He didn't really explain what he meant by that, but I guess it all depends on how you define a man. AJ is somebody who... I mean, he, he says he doesn't like to kick a man when he's down. Is that how AJ really is? Or is that just for the cameras? Is that just his corporate image? I mean, he talked about how he's trying to be a role model and represent the zone and represent his sponsors and all this kind of stuff. So he's thinking about his image in their eyes and what they want, you know? So privately, is AJ the kind of guy who would laugh when Deontay Wilder got beat and would kick him when he's down? Obviously, Deontay Wilder kicked AJ when he was down, so I'm not making any judgments at the end of the day, these guys are rivals and competitors. And if a guy kicked you when you were down, then you're damn sure probably going to kick him when he's down. <laughs> but maybe AJ is a bit more philosophical. Maybe he, you know, is a little bit deep and believes in rising above certain types of behavior rather than stooping down to that level. Because in order to conquer something, you have to rise above it. If you don't rise above it, you know, you'll get dragged down there and you'll get beaten by the guy who has more experience behaving like that. It kind of reminds me of Evander Holyfield. He's been doing a lot of interviews lately talking about Mike Tyson. Now, when Holyfield talks about his boxing career, he's constantly referencing his mother because his mother played a huge role. Now, I'm not sure if his mother's still alive. Maybe she's passed away. I'm not sure. But certainly when he was still boxing. His mother was extremely influential in his boxing career. And he said his mother doesn't know anything about boxing, but she knows about people. And what she told him going into the Tyson fight is that he shouldn't engage Tyson in any trash talk. He said, if you just stay quiet, don't engage him in any trash talk, he'll beat himself mentally because he needs something to feed off. He needs you to bite. He needs you to show you know, something so that he can feed off it. He feeds off that kind of negative energy. He feeds off fear. He feeds off anger. Don't give him any of that. And if you don't give him any of that, he'll defeat himself mentally. All you have to do is get in there and fight. And to me, that really did show that Holyfield's mom understood psychology. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you could start talking about energies and all this other esoteric stuff, but just on a base level, she understood psychology that if you play Mike Tyson's game, which was a gutter, ghetto, 
you know, down and dirty game. If that's not you and that wasn't who Holyfield was, Holyfield's a church boy. You just got to be yourself. Don't start acting out a character. Be who you are and be comfortable as who you are, you know? And that's what Holyfield did. So maybe AJ's just being himself to some degree. I mean, look, he's got an image. He's got a public image. But in terms of not kicking Wilder when he's down, maybe that's what AJ's doing. Maybe that's who AJ really is. Maybe he lives by those kind of principles for real, for real. I don't know. Maybe he feels like Wilder's negative energy will be conquered by his positive energy. The fact that Wilder's been out there talking so much trash, maybe even the same with Tyson Fury, that these guys talk so much rubbish about him that he's rising above all the negativity. And when he gets in there with him, it will show. Then again, maybe it won't show. <laughs> I guess we'll find out uh, if and when those fights actually take place. But one thing I can say is that AJ certainly was a lot more dignified and magnanimous in defeat than Deontay Wilder was. When AJ lost to Andy Ruiz, no excuses, took it on the chin, gave Ruiz his props and just said, look, I'll be back better. I'll train harder. I'll, you know, have better tactics, so on and so forth. I'll correct the mistakes and I'll come back and win. Whereas with Deontay Wilder, right away, there was sour grapes. He was salty as hell, making all kinds of ridiculous excuses, surrounded by all his fanboys who were clutching at straws and looking for all these silly theories to try and explain away why Wilder lost. So the mental approach in defeat was definitely way different between AJ and Wilder. That's for sure. We all know that. AJ was way more magnanimous, way more realistic. I mean, maybe Wilder's starting to get realistic now, but in the immediate aftermath of the loss to Fury, he wasn't realistic at all. He was in cuckoo land with the stuff he was talking about. You know, his costume was too heavy and all this nonsense. So anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening, I'm out. Anthony Joshua did an interview with Sky Sports yesterday. He said that he believes that Tyson Fury has to fight him in order to prove himself to be the number one in the division. Do you believe that? Or do you believe that Tyson Fury is I, currently I, the number I, one? I, I believe that is 100% correct. And it works vice versa. And Anthony Joshua needs to beat Fury to prove he's number one also. So he's right. Yes, dead right. It works both ways. They both have to beat each other to prove who's number one. Because at the moment, it's down to opinion. They both have, you know, Fury has the WBC and Ring, Ring Magazine belt. And actually, Joshua has the WBA, WBO, and IBF titles, and IBO titles. Um, so, yeah, they they both got all of the belts. So, you could say you prefer the WBC. This guy can prefer the WBA. This person can say the Ring Magazine is number one. But it's, it's all opinions. Fight each other. Then we find out officially who's number one. And Anthony Joshua's... 100% correct. Fury needs to beat him to prove he's universally, undisputedly number one. And so does Anthony. So it works, it works, but it works both ways. It works both ways. And it's good to know that Anthony Joshua is is calling out um, Fury because he wants, to, he wants to prove it. Both fighters in their heart believe they're number one and they're willing to do it. And that's, that's a good place of boxing to be. And I think in 20... 21, we're going to see that fight happen. The biggest fight, probably the biggest ever heavyweight showdown ever, is going to is going to is going to go down. And um, what a great way to 
round off uh, the heavyweight division to finally, finally have a. Has there ever been a champion who had all the belts at one time? I don't think there's ever been a heavyweight champion. Not in a, not in the four belt era. Four belt era, and yeah, no. I, as far as I'm aware, I remember Lennox didn't have the WBO, right? Yeah. WBO, he never had the WBO, and Tyson did. This is the first time that all of the belts put together, and that's it. That's the end of the story. That's it. We got number one, and then that's it. That then we have an undisputed lineal number one champion, no questions asked, and it'd be a good place to be. And very, very quickly before I let you go, don't sit on the fence. Who wins that fight and why? I'll sit on the fence either. I think the only person who has the artillery, the skill set, the athleticism, the clean living, the the know-how, the experience to have a chance to beat Fury is Andy Joshua. I think he's the only person right now, realistically, where if you're a betting man, he's the only better. If you can bet on any other human being on the planet to beat Fury, you, most people would say, okay, if anyone's got a chance, I'd put it on Andy Joshua. So he's, he's, he's the only guy who has the tools to do it. I think if he lands his shots on uh, Fury, you know, the way Fury Fury's been put down before his chin looked good last time out. Andy Josh is a, is a master boxer as well. I think people underestimate his boxing skill. They underestimate the fact that he hasn't been boxing as long as Fury has, so he's still learning. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't want to say that. I just, I don't know. I can see I can see uh, Fury outboxing um, Joshua Long I can, on the inside, but then again, I can see the middle range with Joshua letting his hands go and he throws he throw such crisp shots at his upcuts hook. Just the way he knocked out um, Alexander Povetkin, you know, the fight was a bit uncomfortable for him for a couple of rounds, but when he put his shots together, that's it, it's over. You know, as soon as he starts tagging people, he's got a hell of a lot of explosivity in his body. He's big and strong and robust. Um, I think the fight against, the fight he lost, his only defeat against uh, Andrews Jr., um, didn't flatter him in any way. It wasn't like he lost on a split decision. It was it was like a horrible loss. It was a horrible loss. And I think a lot of people look at that and think, ah, he lost to him. So that boxing doesn't work like that. You know, I lost to Carl Thompson when I was in my 11th fight. But then three three years later, I'm the undisputed number one. It doesn't matter, you know. It's, he, as long as you learn from that, you can come back. Now, many fighters lost. Bernard Hopkins lost, lost his first fight. Johnny Nelson lost, lost his early fight. It doesn't matter. As long as you improve, and by the time you get in the ring with the other guy, you can uh, you're the finished article. That's all I get. All that matters. To answer your question, I don't know. I can't. I, 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 I'd love to. I'd love to know. I just don't know. I, I don't know. But that's why they have to fight because I don't know. I genuinely don't know. But I have to see it. I've got to be ringside for that one. Okay. All right, David. Well, that was, way, that, that was a long way not to answer. I was going to say it was a very long way of sitting on the that, fence. That was a six-minute uh, non-answer to your question. <laughs> I'm used to it by now. Yeah. Oh, those acting lessons are obviously paying off. There you go. All right, David. Well, uh, thanks very much for your time. As always, I uh, really Great. enjoyed your documentary. I'm not just saying it, um, but yeah, I look forward to catching up with you. Hopefully, when the lockdown is over. Uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, the haymaker, David Hay. Captain Haymaker. Man. Captain Haymaker. Cheers, David. All the best, mate. Take care. Bye-bye.
For the second edition of Dubella's Digest, of course, got a lovely view of your your dog there. Yes, my dog looking out the window. What, what's her name? So, her name is Topolina. It means little mouse in Italian. Oh, lovely! She's very cute. Thank you. She thanks you. <laughs> she's uh, she's 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 a a quarantined baby. This dog. She's getting. She's getting. We got her as a puppy right at the beginning of this. So it's uh. Helping us get through quarantine. <laughs> so first of all, what I wanted to ask you about this week, there's a few things that have broken over the time, but what do you make of the of Florida designating the WWE as an essential workforce during this period? Well, you got to consider the fact that the governor of the state of Florida, a guy named DeSantis, is a fucking moron. <laughs> so when you start with that premise, it, nothing is surprising. Um, this is this is also a man. It took him six or seven weeks of of nightly newscasts repeating the same information to the, come to the conclusion that they were silent carriers of COVID nineteen. So, I mean, the fact that this governor of, of of Florida has called WWE an essential business doesn't surprise me. But but I mean that look. That being said, we you and I know it's not boxing's not an essential business, and neither is wrestling. Um, Everybody wants to get back to live sports entertainment because we're all losing our minds. The whole, there are industries everywhere dying and suffering because we don't have live sports. But no one's going to get back to it with a crowd until it's safe. It's not going to happen. And, and particularly in this country where there's state regulation everywhere. Could, could, could Aram, if WW continues in Florida and Aram gets uh, the okay to use the same facility as the WWE, can he start boxing? Yeah, I guess he could. Um, I don't. I mean, that that raises a lot of issues for ESPN, and it it, it, it also raises issues. What happens? Are if I guess we're going to start up again? I said this on the last. Stop it, though. I said this on the last uh, one of our little video chats. We're going to start up again with no crowds. There, there, there's no question that that's how boxing's going to come back. Boxing's going to come back. The first events we're going to see are going to be in rooms where there's no audience. Um, there are some states here, and there are some places in the United States here. The state of Minnesota, uh, state of Minnesota, um, is one. There are other states that have virtually no cases of COVID nineteen, but you still have issues of traveling fighters from elsewhere. You're going to travel a fighter from New York. You're going to travel a fighter from Detroit. You got to test everybody. You know, we don't at this moment in time. They don't even know whether you're still shedding the virus after you've had it. They don't know. We don't have right now an antibody test that's available to people to take a test for to see if they have the antibody. So uh, we're a ways away from restarting. Can I see boxing occurring in certain circumstances in front of empty crowds, empty rooms in July or August? Yes. Do I think we're going to have boxing in our usual way where we're elbow to elbow screaming and singing <laughs> Sweet Caroline in a fucking arena? No, we're not having that for the foreseeable future. And we got to face that reality. Now, shortly after we spoke last week, we, we talked last <laughs> week about Dana White's apparently bloody minded determination to schedule an event this month. Shortly after we spoke, he finally admitted defeat and faced the reality, it seemed, at least for a short period. But now he seems to be determined to go again in May. 
So he, does, he doesn't seem to learn his lessons. He will, he will be the first combat sports. Uh, UFC will be the first, first combat sports entity to return. And, and I believe they will return in, in, uh, in May. And, um, and, and, I, and I, there's a, I mean, we discussed last week the reasons and advantages he has. Self-contained, their own doctors, their own officials. Um, you know, I, 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 he has his own. He has his own self-contained, uh, sterile uh, arena on on his campus in, in, in Nevada. You know, now I imagine he's going to have some issues with the state of Nevada, but I, you know, UFC is important to Nevada, and Nevada is important to UFC, and they'll probably figure out a way to allow something to happen. So I, I, I tend to think that he will be. They will be the first entity to, to do this. But as we talked about last week, boxing has its own set of issues that are different and greater than, than, than UFC does. Um, and, and by the way, when he comes back, he's not going to come back without detractors. And, 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 it's, and, and here's the other thing. What happens when the first athlete or the first official or the first person in the room when you're taping, you know, winds up positive? I mean, I don't know. Another big story from this week is Floyd Mayweather Jr.'s stated desire to become an elite trainer. What, what did you make of that? If he wants to be an elite trainer, there's no question in my mind he can be. I mean, Floyd's boxing IQ, whatever you think of Floyd Mayweather, he's a boxing genius. And, and I could tell you, knowing him for as long as I have, which is since he's a kid, and having spent a lot of time sitting around him at prize fights over the last 20 years plus, you know, or so, um, he, I have no doubt that he has what it takes to be a great trainer. It's a matter of whether he wants to do it. Is he going to have that dedication? Is he going to want to be in the gym that often? Is he going to want to be that dedicated to another person's career? Um, if he wants to, I have no doubt that he can. Something else I wanted to ask you about is something that came up on social media recently, certainly here in the UK, and something I vlogged about earlier this week, is boxers doing good deeds but publicising them on social media and whether that in any way kind of mitigates the respect they should get for doing the good deed in the first place. I, it's not just boxers; it's it's everybody. Yeah, and and, and my, look, my attitude is this: like, um, I'd rather see a boxer, a politician, a, a celebrity, an ordinary person publicize their good deed and do it than do no good deed at all. Yeah. So I'm not going to discourage somebody from doing a good deed because they're publicizing it. Um, not my style. You know, and, and it's funny because every time I try to use social media to, to relay some kind of positive message, there's usually some troll writing, oh, you're an, you're an affluent guy. What the fuck are you doing? Well, I'm doing a lot of things, but I'm not telling you. But people that know me know I do a lot of things. And people who have who've known me for the last 30 years since I've been in a position to help people know that I, I tend to take those opportunities and, and it's not my thing to publicize them. Um, I don't think there's, I'm not going to criticize somebody who's doing good for publicizing it, but I want to also want to go a little bit to the other extreme. If you're sitting there and you're telling everybody that you're a hundred millionaire and you have billions and you're worth more money than God, and you make some little token gesture that 
my next door neighbor who's not affluent like you are would make quietly, then don't expect me to stand and cheer. But, you know, for example, if the Jack from Twitter is going to give a billion dollars and 33%, you know, 30% of his net worth, you know, to help victims of COVID-19, then I salute that guy because that's a tremendous act of philanthropy. And I hope that a bunch of other billionaires follow suit. I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to be so critical because I, like I said, I'd rather see people do the good things, even if they're going to take credit for it than not do them. Let's talk a little bit about Terence Crawford. Seems to be picking more fights on Twitter. Bud's a really smart guy. He's a great oh. fucking fighter. He, I, I, I'm always interested to see what. You know, I, but but he should shut his mouth. You know, he, you know, I, I I'm I'm sensitive when people say to somebody, "Stay in your lane," because we're all entitled to be rounded people and have opinions and have thoughts and express them. It's a free, like, hopefully this is a free country. Hopefully I'm starting to question a little bit, but it, hopefully it's a free country. But when you're making, when you're sitting there and you're pining in the face of science and data, and you're just ignoring science and data and, and stream of consciousness, throwing out potentially dangerous and damaging thoughts, it troubles me. And, and, you know, I, I, you know, Bud's, Bud's not Dr. Fauci. So, I mean, it doesn't shock me that on a, a podcast, he would spew some stuff that I wouldn't agree with and wouldn't want to hear. I would wish that rather than go after clickbait, news entities out there would be careful about what celebrity or celebrity athlete nonsense they're putting out there that might affect impressionable people and create potentially behaviors that could be dangerous. So, you know, for me, like, I'm not like, again, like Bud's entitled to his opinion. I've always respected the guy, but, but I, I, I didn't like that's that stream of consciousness. I don't agree with it. And I really didn't like the attention it was getting from, from, um, boxing press because particularly the boxing press that weren't, going out there with an opinion that was simply reporting Bud's comments because for a young fighter or a young athlete or a young person in, in, uh, in Nebraska where Bud is a superstar completely in Nebraska, he's a, an influencer, you know, he's an influencer in boxing. I don't want to, I don't want to see people be influenced to stupid fucking behavior, even if it's from a great athlete. From a boxing perspective, how much is his legacy harmed or going to be harmed by the fact he doesn't seem able to fight any of the fighters from the PBC? You know, I don't know. I mean, legacy. You know, he's a great... It takes two to go. Um, so it's not just top rank and Bud that have to be willing to make a deal. It's PBC and Heyman um, and those fighters. I mean, I think if the fighters come come back from this pandemic whenever it ends and demand matchups um, on one hand, I think that that, that will greatly aid the effort to get the biggest fights. On the other hand, I think that all of these PBC, the zone ESPN, there's going to be business pressures in all of those areas and loads of fighters are expecting to, to get activity. So there's going to be pressure that may cause 
more PBC versus PBC, the zone versus the zone, and ESPN versus ESPN matchups. But time will tell. You know, uh, yes, it's going to harm him if he never fought the best welterweights of his time. Um, it's going to harm him, but he's not the only one being harmed by that. Yeah, I mean, he's talked about fighting Keith Thurman this week. I know that was something on social media. He's often said that he wants the Spence fight eventually, but we're going to get Kell Brook next, it seems. Danny, 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 I'm getting a little, I got to be honest, like, I'm getting a little edgy with all this time off. Like, uh, my patience is not what it was. And you know me, I'm a little bit of a wild man in general, but my patience is less now than it may have been a month ago. That's a scary Why thing. are all fucking fighters calling each other out? Everybody's brave as fuck now. Everybody, I'll get in there for nothing. I'll fight you tomorrow. Let's fight in my mother's backyard. Where were these fucking guys two years ago or a year ago? I mean, like, you know, like right now that no one's fighting, everybody's getting brave. Okay, I want to see this attitude continue when we're back in the ring. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Like COVID makes heroes of us all, it seems. But Yeah, everybody right now is an armchair warrior, <laughs> literally. So, you know. But generally, the, the kind of split between not just PBC and top-ranked ESPN, but the promotional entities in general, is that bad for the sport, the, the, these big fights? It's bad. Or let's face realities. COVID is, you know, I, you know, politicians all over the world have described this as the great equalizer, right? Well, I'll tell you what COVID's done in boxing. We were, crazy money was being spent on multiple platforms, frankly, without great results. Without great results. Fucking insane money was being spent. And overall, the quality of programming and fights has not been improving. It's not gotten better because crazy money was spent. What COVID's going to do is it, the bubble is now burst. It was going to burst anyway. But now with COVID-19, the bubble is burst. Where do we go from here? We're going to find out. The fans are going to have something to do with finding that out. When we come back into a global recession, when we return to a global recession, are we going to see people willing to pay in the United States $70 and $80 for a pay-per-view? I don't know. I have my doubts. Are are Will DAZN have an easy time, you know, reestablishing a, a subscriber base, which admittedly they knew they had to grow um, anyway? I don't know. But I can tell you that there's going to be a big adjustment. Fighters are going to make, particularly the star guys, you're not going to see three and four million dollar paydays or two million dollar paydays for fights that are pedestrian. You know, Danny Garcia, and I don't see when we come back a Bud Crawford or a Danny Garcia making $3 million to fight Bozo the Clown. <laughs> you know, so I think that we are going to see wholesale changes to our industry. Some of them would have come anyway. But when I look at, at, at what went on in the last five years, billions of dollars were spent. More money was spent on boxing in the United States that's been spent in my, in my career, in my 30 years in the sport. For what? For product, frankly, that overall was mediocre. For for we shitloads of money were burnt without really building a fan base. It, so, it, you know, do I think that the the streaming money and the crazy money that we've seen the last five years really was a positive net positive to the sport of boxing? No, I think it was ra relatively neutral. You know, a lot there are a lot of people that made a lot of money. A lot of promoters got 
Eddie made a lot of money. You know, Golden Boy made a lot of money. Canelo made a lot of money. You know, Aram has a good deal at ESPN. People did very, very well. But as a whole, did boxing rise with it, in terms of its popularity? Did, it, did, it, did its demographics, advertising demographics, get more attractive to advertisers? Not really. I mean, we didn't see wholesale changes for the positive in the sport. We saw a lot of money being spent. Now that's going to adjust, but maybe the adjustment is going to create a necessity to create the best product. But time will tell because we still, by definition, have different avenues, particularly when you look at boxing in the U.S. You have an ESPN avenue, a PBC avenue, and you still, when the zone gets back up and running again, a zone avenue. Brilliant. Well, as always, it's been educational. This is probably the only thing that makes me hope the uh, pandemic goes on forever, is that we get the best. Oh, no, no, no. Just... This is not, not good enough reason, Danny. It's not good enough reason. <laughs> but, but, but to take a little time out of a Wednesday to, to give to you guys and shoot the shit, I'm happy to do it. Brilliant. Well, we'll see you back then at the same time next week. Take care, my friend. Be well. And Bye-bye. you. Stay safe. Welcome to Behind the Mic with Michelle Joy Phelps. And you know, I'm really excited because I have two of my closest friends joining me on this episode today. My good friend, Giandra LaBeouf, who is also a sports and entertainment host. Giandra, hello. Hi, Michelle. I miss you. I haven't seen you since we were in Vegas for the Wilder Fury fight. Different time. I haven't seen any of you since then. I'm so sad. So I'm happy that we get to do this, even if we're all in different places. Yeah, me too. And also, I'm going to introduce a good homie. We call him Fam Fam. <laughs> uh, Stephen Carino, uh, the third founder of Kale Artist Sports. You guys can catch him doing a lot of really great boxing interviews. Stephen, it's good to have you. You there? Hey, what's up, everybody? Hey. It's, uh, it's good to see you guys. Good to see your faces. I feel like, yeah, the, the same. I think the, yeah, the last time we all saw each other was, uh, was Vegas. Man, remember when, when we could be around people? <laughs> what are people? What are those? Remember, when, remember outside? You guys remember outside? <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. One of the next topics I wanted to talk about was Andy Ruiz. Now, Andy. <laughs> That's a good segue. <laughs> granted, granted, Andy was, you know, he was feeling motivated. Bless him. He was feeling motivated. He put it on Instagram that, you know, hey, let's look what I'm doing. I'm out here losing weight. Da, da, da. And he just got <laughs> fat shamed. Oh. To the max. And I was just like, everybody gonna come up out of this a little bit chubbier. Like, I don't know anyone. I mean, unless you're some fitness expert who knows how to eat while barely cutting any calories, because what can you do? Run around your house? Like, so yeah. like I, I kid you not, I must have done like 50 steps in a day. <laughs> I feel you. I <laughs> feel you. So, so anyways, Andy Ruiz was, was, you know, subject to attack again uh, because of his weight. Um, but the news actually is that he is looking to join Team Canelo. Hmm. Ooh. 
he is looking to to have Eddie Reynoso and Chepo uh, train him. So they're in talks, nothing actually official because he said he's waiting for, obviously, the right time to return, uh, dep depending on when he can return. And so what do you guys think of that? Do you think that that works for him? I know, Stephen, you're, you're I want to say you're quite close with the camp. Um, what are you, or to his former camp, what's been going on there? And do, or do you have anything, any insight? Um, like, I haven't spoke to Andy Ruiz um, or like uh, Manny or, or, or any of that. Well, obviously Manny is like part of the old camp, but I did talk to Eddie Reynoso um, during the Ryan Garcia um, fight week, the, when he fought in, on Valentine's Day in February. And we asked Eddie about it and Eddie, Eddie was definitely open to it. Eddie was like, yeah, you know, if he wants to come, you know, like I'd, I'd be willing to talk to him, you know, and, and he was definitely open, open to the idea. Mm -hmm. And I think Eddie, I mean, you, you kind of see, cause th there's always kind of that question, right? When like a great fighter comes with a, a trainer that maybe we haven't heard of too much before. And it's kind of one of those, like, do you just have a great fighter or are you also like a great trainer yourself, you know? And we started, <clears throat> we started kind of seeing the development, obviously when Ganelo fought Triple G the second time and he actually had, you know, kind of that come forward strategy uh, that, that Ganelo Im implemented in that fight. But, but then it's also a question of, well, you also had Ganelo who happened to be an exceptional fighter to be able to absorb Triple G shots, to be able to actually implement the game plan. But I think also with Ryan Garcia, you really kind of see the the progression of Ryan. Ryan's definitely gotten better since he's been with Eddie. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really kind of a testament to like, hey, like Eddie, Eddie really is a, a, a good trainer. He's good at kind of developing fighters and things like that. Um, so really, Andy Ruiz and Eddie Reynoso, I really like that that matchup a lot. I think, uh, especially having Canelo in camp. Uh, I think did wonders for Ryan Garcia and like discipline and stuff like that. I think, I think Ryan is like, wow, like he's the best in the world and this is how hard he works. This is what he does. Obviously Canelo and Andy got pretty close, um, especially after obviously Andy, Andy won uh, after Andy beat uh, AJ. So I, I think it's a really good, um, you know, kind of matchup, matchup together. Um, you know, San Diego is kind of close to, to uh, Andy Ruiz out there. So He's this is like, what I have to say about it. <laughs> what is what? Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I like it. And, and I nay think or nay, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, nay. Yeah. I'm going to put like my it. hand over there so it looks like the emoji. <laughs> yeah. If you look down, if you look down at your screen, it says reactions. So. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, There's not much. So cool. There's yeah, I give it a thumbs oh. up. <laughs> yeah, I give that a thumbs up. That's a killer ass camp. Like, really yeah. think about it. Like, they could have the killers. You got Canelo, you got little Ryan, who is the discipline has been everything for him. You know, he's still yeah. got the low, you know, he's still like the honeys, but the discipline and the approach for fight has been good for him. And that's probably what Andy Andy needs because that was with the whole what Manny was saying in the aftermath of the second fight, he was like, he didn't call me and come train. It's like a control thing. And I feel like the Reynosos down there are not going to play them games. That's they seem like the type, like, you don't want to come work out? Fine. We will lock the door and you stay your ass out there. I, I actually agree with you on that. I, I think that it could be really good in terms of that discipline. I don't see, I mean, when you're going to be around other fighters like Canelo and Ryan, who are as disciplined as they are, when you sort of enter into that space, 
it, it's going to do one of two things for you. It's either going to motivate you or it's going to intimidate you. Mm-hmm. And if, because if you don't have it in you to put that time into it, you're going to be intimidated by it and you're not going to feel comfortable because you're going to always feel like you're the lesser of the, of the group. Right. But it right. could also help you level up. And I really think that's what Andy needs around him or others, other champions, other, other, you know, key players in the boxing game to help mm-hmm. motivate you and keep you there. And, and I don't know how much of it is going to be like, they're going to be in camp at the same time. They might overlap here and there, but nonetheless, like, I do think it's a positive thing because for whatever reason, and again, I don't really know the dynamics between his relationship with Manny, but it did seem like, you know, he, maybe there was too much friendship there. Sometimes mm. when you're too good at friends or you've been with them long enough where you feel too comfortable, maybe you just don't respect when they tell you to do something as much as you would with somebody you don't necessarily have that friendship mm-hmm. with. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? True. So that, yeah, this That's could true. be a, a smart move. Definitely a smart move. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I, I definitely like it. And, and it's, imagine, uh, imagine that camp with Canelo, with Ryan, with Andy. They also have, um, what is it, Julio Cesar Martinez, I think, or no, uh, who, who's, the, who's the other guy that Eddie Reynoso has, a real kind of um, like 115 pounder or something? Is it Martinez? I think it is Martinez. I think it is Julio Cesar Martinez, yeah. And but he, I mean, they just run a tight camp down there. Like, how many media days can you say we've gone to with Canelo? You are, it ain't no popping up in the gym. It ain't none of that. Like they keep it tight and locked down and that might be, you know, what you need. Hey Fight fans, it's Michelle Joy Phelps. If you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, make sure you do so by clicking this icon right here or else. In a recent interview with IFL TV, and Roy Jones has been doing a lot of interviews lately. In fact, he's been seen training Chris Eubank Jr., which is quite interesting. And maybe I'll make a separate video about that. But in a recent interview on IFL TV, he said that he thinks Anthony Joshua will give Tyson Fury a much tougher fight than Deontay Wilder did. So I'm going to quote Superman Roy Jones directly. He said, it's going to be a good fight. I think it's going to be a tougher fight for him than Wilder was because Joshua has more weaponry in terms of what he can bring to the table. He's already brought a few plans to the table, so it will be tough, unquote. So yeah, I agree with Roy Jones Jr. AJ can do more things than Wilder. See, we veteran boxing fans will use terms like styles make fights until we're blue in the face, but the vast majority of boxing fans still don't get it. They still see boxing as this linear situation where if fighter A beats fighter B and fighter B beats fighter C, then fighter C can't come and beat fighter A. No way. No, no, no. It doesn't work like that. Well, actually, it often does work like that. (laughs) Boxing is not linear. It's chess. It's not checkers. It's rock, paper, scissors. And when you look at Anthony Joshua's style, see, again, the, the Fury fans are saying that the And even Fury's own brother Shane is saying that the AJ fight is an easier fight for him than the Wilder fight. I completely disagree. Maybe I'll be proved wrong again by the Gypsy King. But I don't know. I I just don't see it. I I think that Anthony Joshua has more in his arsenal, as Roy Jones Jr. said. He's got more in his arsenal for Fury to contend with. 
It's not just the right hand. And as soon as you see AJ cocking the right hand, you step back. No, AJ's got a very good left hook. He's got a very good uppercut. He's got a very good right hand. He's got much better balance than Deontay Wilder. Moves around better, keeps his range better. Like from a technical point of view, AJ's way better than Wilder. So, and, and he's sharper on the counter as well. Wilder's got a counter right hand. Um, but his counter right hand is not that prolific. He likes to lead off. He does counter with the right hand as well. He likes to catch you coming in, getting over ambitious. But AJ will punch over your jab consistently. He'll throw a right hand over your jab. Look at even the first Andy Ruiz fight in the first two rounds. How many times he was hitting Andy Ruiz over the top of his jab with a right hand. He was literally there waiting, waiting, waiting. Okay, Ruiz throws the jab, bang. AJ was over the top with a right hand. He did that constantly in the first two rounds against Ruiz and he also leads off with left hooks very well Anthony Joshua he's got a really underrated left hook he can lead off with it or he can throw it as a pull counter and these are technical things which Tyson Fury is going to have to be mindful of if and when he fights AJ and I do think it's going to be a far more complicated puzzle for Tyson Fury to solve than the Deontay Wilder fight was now Tyson Fury is very tenacious we all know that a fearless kind of guy and that will obviously serve him well against Anthony Joshua, but sometimes fearlessness can work against you. Sometimes you actually need to have a bit more respect and a bit more caution than you thought going into the fight. So I, I suspect that'll be the case if Tyson Fury fights AJ. Tyson Fury will go in there thinking, yeah, I'm going to manhandle this blown up bodybuilder, this guy with no chin and no heart who gets knocked around by little fat men he's gonna have all the people in his team gassing him up telling him it's easy and personally I think that's gonna backfire on Fury to some degree it doesn't mean it'll backfire enough for AJ to win the fight necessarily but I do think it's gonna turn out to be a much tougher fight for Fury than the Wilder fight was and it will be much tougher than anybody in Fury's camp realizes I think the only person who would have been realistic at least publicly. Maybe it's the Fury team playing mind games. Some people have suggested that. You know, that they secretly, privately think that AJ is a real tough fight, but they don't want to let the public, you know, in on that. But the only person who I think would have been sensible and realized that the AJ fight is actually genuinely tough is Peter Fury. Because Peter Fury never really got caught up in all the propaganda. You know, he never really got caught up in all the the prideful stuff where if you don't pick Tyson Fury to win, we hate you. And He never got caught up in that. Peter Fury was a much more sensible head, a much more cool head, but obviously he's no longer part of Tyson Fury's career. So yeah, the other guys in there, John Fury, and John Fury obviously, obviously needs a lot of credit for the tactics of you know Tyson Fury pushing Deontay Wilder back in the rematch. So John Fury clearly knows his stuff, but you know, everybody makes mistakes. You could be the best trainer in the world. You're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to get it tactically wrong sometimes. You're still going to underestimate somebody. Happens to every. There's no trainer out there and there's no fighter out there who has never underestimated somebody. Anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Just my musings on what Roy Jones Jr. said about AJ giving Fury more trouble than Wilder did. Let me know what you think, people. It's happening. I'm out. supposed to be about three or four weeks away from Alexander Usyk versus Derek Chisora. Obviously, that's not happening. Uh, it's been suspended. 
How frustrating is that for you? It's obviously a fight that you'd worked long and hard to get for Derek. It's frustrating, but no more frustrating for the USIC team. They're, they're consummate professionals. They're, they're, they'll still be training, as, as Derek is. Um, there's obviously limited training you can do in, in these times, but you've got to do what you've got to do. And um, it's an it's a unfortunate hiccup, but it's, it's just the way, the way the cookie crumbles. You've got to play the best best hand you can, you can with the cards you've been dealt. Excuse the pun. <laughs> and, um, you know, Derek, Derek's in a good, good place, you know. I, I, I did worry when I, I felt possibly this fight could get pulled, you know, if, uh, a month or so ago. But here we are, the fight's postponed. We don't have any date yet. Um, the, the British Boxing Board of Control won't sanction any boxing matches um, in the UK, understandably. Um, but when the fight does happen, I think the longer it takes for the fight to happen, the more conditioned, the more time Derek has to prepare. And he's fighting someone who skill-wise is probably the best big, big, big man in the world. You know, he's in most people's pound-for-pound top five. You know, he's a heavyweight now. He's had one fight at heavyweight. I don't believe he, he set the world on fire with that fight against Witherspoon. But he got the victory, got a stoppage victory. Derek Jazor is a whole different uh, game than uh, Witherspoon was. You know, Witherspoon turned up on short notice and, you know, wasn't blasted out of there. You know, Derek Jazora is going to come, come in like a man-possessed He's uh, he's living and breathing boxing like he always should have done, but he's doing it at the right time because he has by far the biggest challenge in his career, and um, he knows that he's 36 years old. He knows this is his last shot. There's not going to be any more um, opportunities like this. This is you know, you know, effectively the WBO mandatory fights. You know, Usyk's number one challenger. He's ranked number one. He's the mandatory for for Joshua's WBO title. So if, if Chisora can beat him, he puts himself in a hell of a position to really you know, get that big fight against the WBO champ. And it's an exciting time for Derek. He knows it. He's he's excited and you know, he's eating. You know, you just watch his Instagram. He's eating clean. You know, he's, he's, he's living the life. In, and that's that's all I could have ever hoped for, for, for a fighter to give themselves the best opportunity to win a fight when it when it finally does present itself in the past Derek has sort of gone off the rails after a fight not when I say gone off the rails he's not 100% disciplined in camp in the past but you know when the fight was not scheduled when there was no fight in the pipeline he wasn't the guy to be in the gym twice a day pushing his body eating healthy you know but over time he's learned from his mistakes and you know he, he's as good as he's ever going to be in this next fight, so that's all we can. That's all we can hope. You know, every British, every British fight fan can only hope they see the very best Derek Chisora. They've seen Derek Chisora in the past, and they love him. The fans absolutely love Derek Chisora because one thing they can guarantee is value for money. You know, the way he went at David Price, the way he went at um, you know, his last few opponents has shown that he's here for business. He wants it. You know, look at the Carlos Takam fight, a fight he was getting absolutely slaughtered in. It was his heart, his determination, his grit, his will, his never giving up mentality was why he won that fight. And the fans truly respect that and understand it and understand that he's going to give them 100%. That's why whenever he fights, he's got a packed out, packed out crowd. 